You're listening to The Riverwalk, the preaching ministry of Beth River Baptist Church in Winsboro, Louisiana. Today we're going to start going through the book of James and learning the value of humility. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy. You got a Bible this morning? Turn to the New Testament very close to the very end in the book of James. And I hope you've got a Bible today to turn to the book of James. James is just a wonderful book. And I've been praying very hard, you know, where to go next. And I've heard James quoted probably at least three times over the last week. And I thought it would be a good place to go for this month. Because this month is a special month for America and the rest of the world. This is a month that is celebrating pride. P-R-I-D-E. It used to be that this was a month that was just celebrating a certain sin, but it has evolved into a month that celebrates pride of all sorts of things. And it's a very difficult thing to live as a Christian during Pride Month. So I thought we should take a biblical approach to this month, a biblical approach to life. And I don't think there's a better place in the whole Bible than the book of James to do that because James writes about humility I think, more than any other book in the Bible. Truth is that the Bible calls Christians, the Bible calls you and me to shun pride and to practice humility. I mean, really think about it for a second. When you go in the Bible, think of all the great biblical men and women. Go read Hebrews 11 sometime. And think about Jesus Christ Himself. They shared one thing in common. They were incredibly humble Men and women. They humbled themselves before God. On the other side, on the other side of things, think of all the great calamity throughout the Bible. Think of all the great calamity through Houston. Not through Houston, I'm sorry, through history. Through history, I'm sorry. Think of all great calamity in your life. Think of the times when things have been bad, even in this church. All sin, all problems, I would argue all of that is rooted in one thing, and that's pride. Pride. I want it my way. I'm thinking of myself, even from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, when Eve said, yeah, I want to be like God. I want that. I want to be good. Or when Moses killed that man who was hurting his brother, he took on the the actions of God. I don't like that. I'm going to take it into my own hands. Because sin is just selfish. When we think only about ourselves, when we think only about our wants, we think only about our desires. Church, I want to tell you, pride, no matter what you put in front of it, pride leads to sin every single time. Those of you in here that are business owners, when you hire somebody, you don't want somebody that's going to say, well, I'm going to sleep in today because that's what I want to do. No, you want somebody that's going to be a good employee, somebody that's going to think about your business and, and, uh, and their job. Well, this tiny book of James is really about just that. It's about living humble. The book of James is not really so much a theological book, but a practical book. As we go through this book, you're going to see a practical application of how to live humbly. What you should know about James that I think you'll find really fascinating 
is that most scholars believe that the book of James is actually the oldest book we have in the New Testament. And even from verse 1, we don't know for sure, but almost it's universally agreed that out of the four Jameses that are mentioned in the New Testament, almost all scholars agree that this was written by Jesus' brother, his half-brother, James. And even from verse 1, you don't see James identify himself as Jesus' brother He humbly says, I'm a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of everybody in the Bible, James probably knew Jesus better than any of them, but James didn't do that. James said, I'm a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says who the book was written to, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. This was written to, to Christians. It was a very hard time to live in where they had to leave because of their faith. The church was persecuted. And James writes these Christians who were scattered abroad and tells them how to live in the worst of times. I think the whole book is really summed up well in James 4.10, where he says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. So I'm going to go through a few verses at a time. And make commentary on it as I go through it. And I think when you read this today, you will not be able to deny that humility has a high priority. Maybe the highest priority in the life of a Christian. So let's start in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Once again, remember who's writing this. This is the brother of Jesus. This is a man that was later martyred himself by being stoned to death. And he's able to say this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy. So listen, if you want to live humbly in this world, if you want to live humbly in a world that is hostile to Christians, Well, I just advise you to take the words of James and to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Because here's the thing, the humble, the Christian is not free from trials, but rather profits from trials. Too many times today as Christians, we ask the question, why me? Why me, God? Why me? James didn't do that. James, the brother of Jesus, didn't say, why me? Why am I going through that? Instead, he counted it all joy. Church, let me tell you, we get things mixed up. Instead of asking why me, we should be asking why not me? Why am I so special? Why should I have it better than anybody else? Or maybe this, we ask the question all the time. Why, what can my church do for me? That's a prideful attitude. Maybe we should ask the question, what can I do for my church? How can I serve the church instead of having the church serve me? So many times we ask the question, what is God going to do for me? Instead of saying, what am I going to do from God? Because see, that's the difference between pride and humility. The humble, 
The humble knows that trials are not always a bad thing. Trials are not always a bad thing. These Christians and you this morning, you should be able to look back at your life. And I guarantee you, if you look back at what you've been through, you will come to the conclusion that those trials and those temptations, that tribulation that you have been through, was not necessarily a bad thing. He says, knowing, in verse 3, it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It's not always a bad thing. The humble ask for wisdom from the trials, not deliverance from the trials. So whatever you're in today, if you're going through a hard time today, I just want to encourage you, instead of asking to be delivered from it, ask God that you learn from it. Ask God to make you a better man, a better woman for whatever you're going through today. If you're going through a hard time in marriage, well, ask God to teach you how to be a better husband, a better wife. If you're having a hard time with your children, ask God to let it be a lesson for your children to be better children. Ask God for a lesson for you let, to let you be a better father, a better mother. Listen, ultimately, what James was saying here, following Jesus' example, Jesus was not free from trials, and we shouldn't expect to be either. But even in the midst of trials, following Jesus' example, we're to be humble, not prideful. But read on in verse 9 through 11. If you, another example of being humble. It says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers in the grass. Its flower fails, falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. I don't believe James was preaching against wealth. I don't believe he was preaching against rich, richness. But I believe he was writing against pride. Because see, the humble man, the humble woman is happy with what they have. Not upset with what they lack. Listen, I, I, want, I really would like y'all to understand this today, especially you younger people. If you're not happy with what you have, you'll never be pleased with what you want. It's not going to happen. Everything you've got, all the wonderful things you've got, it's going to be gone one day. Being wealthy is not a sin, but being prideful is. Wealth doesn't bring happiness, and it certainly doesn't bring humility because it's not going to be here forever. When you can grab a hold of that, when you can grab a hold of the eternal things, when you can grab a hold of what the greatest gift that you have is, man, it brings humility every time. Because listen, wealth fades away just like that flower. But if you're a Christian, that relationship with Jesus, that saving grace, that marvelous grace, that remains forever. That flower ain't never going to fade. Your body, man, you could be on death's doorstep with cancer. But guess what? This flesh will fade away, but my relationship with Jesus will remain forever. That brings about a certain humility that the world doesn't have. Let's read through verses 12 through 18 now. He writes, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he te himself tempt anyone. 
But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is a picture of a humble man, James, writing. And, and what he's saying here, blessed is the man who endures temptations. Temptations remain. The humble, the humble loves God more than they love themselves. How do we fall into temptation? It says in verse 14, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Our pride pulls us away. It's not God that gives you that trial or that tribulation. I wouldn't even say it's the devil. It's your own wants. It's your desires. And it's your pride that pulls you away. And the truth is, it don't matter how mature of a Christian you are. Temptations are going to be there forever. But the mature, humble Christian has a love of God that helps overcome them. Temptations to sin comes from one place, our selfish wants and our selfish desires. But we can love God because we know of His love for us. What a beautiful, beautiful phrase that every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Man, that, that should just cultivate a love for God the Father like no one else has. That's how the humble lives. And we know that. We see that. We see humble people all the time. We see prideful people and we see humble people. And I would just say that regardless of where you stand on any of this stuff, we desire to be like the humble more than the prideful. Now we get into the practical part. How do we do that? How can I be humble when everything in me wants to be prideful? Everything in me seems to just pull me away. My flesh desires to be pleased. When I go to a buffet, man, my, my eyes goes to what looks the best. And it's just like everything else with a sin buffet. My flesh wants to be pleased. So we know that all this sounds good. We know that the humble looks good. We know we'll be blessed by being humble. We know we believe it, but it's not easy and it's not natural to do so. So how am I a Christian? How as a Christian am I supposed to act when those times come? How do I live a humble life? And I'm so glad that James didn't just leave us speculating. I'm so glad that he didn't just describe this. He tells us, just like the screen says, the nuts, the nuts and the bolts of Christian living. So in verse 19, through the end of the chapter, this is what he says. So then, so... We know what it means to be humble. We know what God wants of us. So how do we do it? So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. 
For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. He says a whole lot in there, but the heart of it, I really believe the heart of it is just describing a humble person. How to be humble. And listen, it's hard to do, but starting off right from the beginning in verse 19 and verse 20, he says, listen, my beloved brethren, if you want to be humble, if you want to get through these hard times, these are the qualities you need. This is what you need to do. First off, let me tell you, as a Christian, as somebody that loves God, as somebody that loves your neighbor, as somebody that needs to be humble, first off, First off, before anything else, you need to be swift to hear and slow to speak. You need to listen before you speak. Listen before you respond and be slow to wrath. It goes right back to Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Church, let me tell you, we hurt here sometimes and it's hard to do, but humble people listen before they react. Humble people respond in love and not anger. And when you look at all this going on, when you look at all these pictures on Facebook, when you look at all these parades and you look at all these people wrapped up in pride, it's very easy to get angry. It's very easy to get condemning. It's very easy to give way to the flesh. But I want to tell you, we should be slow to hear. And when we're slow to hear, we can be easier to talk back. The typical response for somebody at those parades would say, I can't help it. I was born that way. But you know what? If I'm slow to speak and I'm quick to listen, I can say, you know what? I was born a certain way too. I was born a sinner too, but God says I can be born again. I was born again. I'm better now than I was, and I would never celebrate the way I was because I was a prideful, hurtful person, and my life was worse then than it is now. That's responding in love and not anger. That's being slow, and that's being taking time to hear their problems. Will they listen? Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But that's how we're called to deal with anybody wrapped up in sin. Then it says in verse 21, he says you need to be slow to speak. You need to be swift to hear. And then in verse 21, he says you also need to do this. You need to therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So he says this. He says, listen, if you want to be humble, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be like Jesus, you need to lay aside the sin. And namely, he says, with meekness, receive with meekness. You need to lay aside the pride because that's what separates us from the world. Listen, you cannot be humble while you're wrapped up in sin because sin is rooted in pride. So listen, Stop embracing the flesh and start feeding the spirit. Start today. Start this very minute attempting to be the man or the woman God would have you be. Lay it aside. Lay that old life aside. Because let me tell you something. While you're feeding the flesh, while you're giving in to the old man, the old woman, you might as well be participating in a pride parade. You might as well be doing it because that's what you're sowing in the world. I've seen so many Christians get on Facebook, get on Instagram and take a picture of themselves just totally embraced in sin. And at the same time, they condemn somebody else. 
at a pride parade. James says, no, you need to lay aside all wickedness, not just some wickedness. And then James goes a little bit further. He even goes further than that. He says, not only do you need to be uh, swift to hear, slow to wrath, not only do you need to lay aside sin, but you need to do one other thing. You need to be doers of the word and not just hearers. So many times we as Christians, man, we're faithful to come to church. We're faithful to listen. Even from a young age, we come to vacation Bible school. But in verse 22, uh uh-oh. Because in verse 22, he says, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And then he says, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man just looking in the mirror. He don't even know. He don't even know what he's lacking. Listen, we are to be doers and not just hearers. It's one thing to know how Jesus lived, but it's something else to live like Jesus lived. Practice what you preach. Oh, church, I encourage you today to humbly love your neighbor, to humbly give, to humbly share, and to humbly live. Verse 25, it says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one, this one will be blessed. Those that do will be blessed. I think about Jesus in the garden when he prayed, Thy will be done. So many times today we pray in our pride, not thy will be done, but my will be done. But I hate to tell you, many times God's will does not line up with my will. And that's just the way it is. Verse 27, how he closes it out. I love how he closes it out. And and many times we remember the first part of this. In our humility, it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God. And the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. But don't just stop there. He says, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Listen, church, our lives should look the exact opposite from a parade or a rally. We should be unspotted from the world. Our lives should look so different from the world. We should be behind the scenes and not doing anything to be puffed up. We should watch what we say and we should watch how we say it. We should think about others more than we think about ourselves. We should care about the ones the world doesn't care about. James is pretty blunt here. Religion without humility is just useless. Nothing good happens when humility is not involved. James doesn't write it in this passage, but I could tell you as a pastor some stuff that I've seen, some stuff that you know as a Christian, and, and there's no denying this. No one, no one comes to Christ prideful. Think about that for a second. While so many Christians are wrapped up in pride, and then we wonder, wonder why nobody walks the altar, we wonder why nobody gives their life to Jesus, Nobody comes to Christ prideful because it takes humility. It takes humility to admit you're a sinner. 
It takes humility as a preacher's kid. It takes humility as an upstanding citizen. It takes humility as an old man or an old woman. It takes humility wherever you're at in life to say, as good as I am, Lord, I'm not good enough. It takes humility to do that. It takes humility to say, hey, I need saving. I need a savior. It takes humility to know that you know that you know that you need something that you can't get by yourself. And it takes humility to give one's life to Christ. I just want to plead with you this morning. Wherever you're at, I pray that you'll shun the pride and you'll embrace some humility and realize that this whole book is true as it's ever been. I I plead with you to look at the world, look at the pride and look at the humble. And I'm telling you this morning, humbly admit that you need a Savior if if you've not done that. But now, what if you have done that? What if you have done that? I thought about it this week, and here's the truth. I I look back over the history since I've been here. I look back over the history of America. I look back over the history of the world ever since Jesus came and He died. And everything, all great movements of God, all great revival, they've all began with one thing. They've all began with humility. I think Jonathan Edwards, his sermon centers in the hands of an angry God. He wasn't, when I go back and I read the history, he wasn't a great speaker. He read from a piece of paper just like this. You can go back and you can read it. But his words moved people so much that they cried out from the, from the audience and said, what have we got to do to be saved? Listen, revival begins with humility. The Christian must realize that they are helpless without Christ. If we don't realize that, If we don't humbly ask God to move in our midst, then we can't expect the lost to mimic us. We expect them to mimic the world. When Christians live humbly, people notice. These kids that come on Wednesday nights, you better believe they notice men and women that are willing to sacrifice an hour or two of the week to just give them some food, spiritual and physical food. People notice I mean, think about the flip side of this stuff. Pride keeps people from inviting others. Pride will say, that's not the kind of church member we want at Beth River Baptist Church. It's sad, but it's true. Pride, absolute pride, keeps Christians from coming to the altar. Well, I'm not going to the altar because I've been there, I've done that. Pride keeps Christians from coming to the altar. Pride keeps Christians living in sin. I'm saved. I'm saved by grace. I know I'm good, so I'm going to keep doing it my way. And then consequences, let it happen how it happens. Pride keeps churches from growing. Pride keeps the kingdom from growing. And it's not just a James thing. I I look back at the life of Jesus, and can you just imagine the humility, the very Son of God bending down and watching the feet of Judas Iscariot. Great movements of God always happen with humility. I look back in the Old Testament and I think one, one passage of Scripture just wraps it up so perfectly. Brother Kevin can't say it as well as Micah did. In Micah 6, 8, he asked the question, What does the Lord require of you? What does God want of me? Does He want me to go out and knock on doors? 
Does he want me to just visit the widows and the orphans? Does he want me to share the gospel with everybody I know? The truth is, what God wants from us is really pretty simple. And if you follow this model, everything else will fall into place. Your life will be blessed. The church will grow. Everything will take care of itself. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you understood. And I hope you'll resolve to live a life in humility rather than a life of pride.